Amen. In the 36 years that I have been a senior pastor, there is one question that I have been asked over and over and over again. As I've ministered to people who are in times of trouble and sorrow, as they've had loved ones either become sick or die, when storms have arisen in their lives, when disaster has occurred, so many people have asked me the question, Brother Will, what do people do without the Lord? I mean, really, that's a pretty good question. What, what would we be doing right now without the Lord? How in the world do people make it without Jesus on their side? And the truth is, I can't answer that question. I, I've thought long and hard. I, I don't have a good answer for that question because I cannot personally imagine facing life, death, and eternity without the Lord Jesus Christ at my side. Life is tough. Anybody out there? Life is difficult. It's tough. And what would we do if we could not confide in and reside in and abide in and sometimes just simply hide in the Lord Jesus Christ? You know, it, it may be good, a good exercise for us to occasionally imagine what our life would be like without Jesus Christ. In fact, there are two occasions when biblical writers took this particular approach. The New Testament version of this is found in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, when the Apostle Paul tried to imagine what life would be like had it not been for the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Listen to what Paul said, 1 Corinthians 15. And if Christ is not risen then our preaching is empty, it is in vain, and your faith also is empty, it is in vain. Yes, and we are found false witnesses of God, because we have testified of God that he raised up Christ, whom he did not raise up, if in fact the dead do not rise. For if the dead do not rise, then Christ is not risen. And if Christ is not risen, your faith is in vain. It is futile. You are still in your sins. Then also those who have fallen asleep in Christ, they have simply perished. If in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most pitiful or most miserable. But now Christ is risen from the dead and has become the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So can you see the exercise, the mental exercise Paul is giving us in this passage? He's saying, what if there is no resurrection from the dead? If that be the case, then Jesus Christ died in vain. Because if Jesus died, was buried, and did not rise out of that tomb, everything we are doing here this morning, church, listen to me, everything is in vain. My preaching is in vain. It's just an old man with a red face blowing hot air. That's all it is. Your faith is in vain. There is no hope without the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But praise be to God, Jesus did rise from the dead. The resurrection occurred. Therefore, we do have hope. We have life because we have Jesus Christ.
The Old Testament version in this exercise is found in the passage that I've chosen today from Psalms 124. The psalmist wants us to imagine what life would be like if God were not on our side. So here we have Psalm 124. I told the people in first service, I, I really had planned on not preaching on another tough question today, all right? I planned on that series being over last week. But on Wednesday nights, when I preach, I'm preaching a series of sermons out of the book of Psalms, the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent are Psalms 120 through Psalm 134. And, and what these are are songs that the Hebrew people would sing as they traveled from whatever little village they lived in to the holy temple in Jerusalem. They would literally sing these psalms to the Lord. And the next psalm that I would preach from is Psalm 124. So I was getting a head start, Jason. I was looking at it, reading it, and I thought, dude, this is it. This is a tough question because people ask the question, what do people do without the Lord? The psalmist asked that question. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat, what if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? They would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Praise the Lord, who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escaped like a bird from a fowler's trap. The trap is broken, and we are free. And our help is from the Lord, maker of heaven and earth. Amen. Come on, people, wake up. Amen. Isn't that great? Our help is from God who made the heavens and the earth. Eight verses here. It's really easy for us to get an outline from this verse because there are literally two stanzas in the verse. The first stanza is verses 1 through 5. The second stanza is verses 6 through 8. And I've, I've entitled my two points like this. Verses 1 through 5 answers the question, what if? Literally, that's what he says. What if the Lord were not on our side? Church, listen, what if Jesus had not risen from the dead? What if there were no God, no Christ, no Bible, no truth in Scripture? Well, believe it or not, there are a whole lot of people around our globe today who would swear that the world would be better off without Christianity. That They believe Christianity has been the source of endless problems and they believe that Christianity is the root of all evil. I'm telling you, increasing numbers of social scientists, liberal politicians, and our liberal media are telling us that the world would be better off without Christianity. And here's the way they say it. One British authority put it like this. He said, Christianity has harmed debased, degraded, and exploited all the people on this planet who have come under its sway. It has done so physically, emotionally, psychologically, and existentially for 100 generations. And people who believe this point to historic events, such as the medieval crusades, 
the religious wars in Europe, to the Spanish Inquisition, to the witch burnings in New England, and to other distortions of Christianity in the world and history. In our own modern day, all we have to do is go back to 1978 in Ghana, where uh, crazy preacher by the name of Jim Jones convinced 918 of his followers to drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide. And they all died. More recent than even that, down in Waco, Texas. Did I call it Waco? Well, it was for this particular event. 78 Branch Davidians, under the leadership of their pastor, David Koresh, died supposedly for following Jesus Christ. Perhaps you have had people say to you, look at all the destruction and damage that Christianity has done in history. How do you answer that? I mean, really, what are you to say to these people? There are historical facts, history, where so-called Christians have misbehaved. How do we answer that? Well, I've, I've got a couple of answers for them. You, you might want to jot these down and make them your own. First of all, we've got to realize that not everything done in the name of Christianity is Christian. I mean, think that through. Not everything done in the name of Christianity is really Christian. Let me give you an example. Uh, I've, I've been dreaming about this for years. I get these crazy ideas in my head and and uh, so I've been dreaming about this for years, and, and I searched for a couple of years. I wanted, I wanted a 1961 Chevy pickup truck because that was the year I was born, 1961. Uh, they made this particular uh, model of, of pickups in, in, for Chevrolet in 1960-61. Only two years, this particular body style was built, and they're really hard to find. Number one, they didn't make very many of them. And number two, people thought they were ugly, all right? But can I tell you something? Nothing that was born in 1960 or 61 is ugly. Okay? And so I'd been looking for one. I wanted to, I wanted to turn it into my cowboy shooting truck, all right? That was, that was kind of my vision, my goal. I couldn't find a 1961, but I did find a 1960 Chevy truck. Isn't that beautiful? It, I, let me just kind of sit here and look at that. That is so pretty, man. I, I found it in Tuttle, Oklahoma. The guy who owned it uh, was a pinstriper. That's what he did professionally. Uh, his name was Mick, and I, I went and looked at the truck, and, and uh, I heard Mick's story. Uh, Mick, was, he was a rebellious, uh, beer-drinking, uh, whiskey-guzzling fighter, man. I mean, he, he lived a bad life, but you know what? Jesus Christ changed him transformed him. And we talked for two hours about the transformation that Jesus made in his life. Anyway, he, he had this truck. He had painted it blue with the, with the white stripes on it. But he had on the, on the bed, he had Harleys and hot rods. And on the front, he had the word pinstriping because that's what he did. And then he had this crazy little drawing he had uh, right there on the side of the bed. So I, I said to Mick, I said, Mick, I, I really like the truck. Let me, if I buy this truck, can you remove uh, those words that you put on there and the picture you put on and put something on there that I want? And he said, sure, that's what I do. And so I bought the truck and I had him put on the bed there, Holy Smoke, because that's who I am. That's my, that's my cowboy name, Holy Smoke. And then I don't know that you can really see it, uh, but right under that is the SAS uh, decal. It's a, it's a cowboy. And I just gave him a picture of that and he freehanded that and painted that. It's beautiful. And then up on the front where he had pinstriping, I needed something up there. So I said, just put the preacher up there. 
Because that's, that's who I am, the preacher. So this is a one-of-a-kind truck. I mean, the, the, it is, isn't it, Miss Angie? It is. That there, listen, listen to me. There is not another truck that looks exactly like this in the world. And, and, and it's not, it doesn't have just a boring straight six in it. It's got a Vortec V8 out of a 99 Tahoe in it. It'll scream, man. It'll go a lot faster than I need it to go, all right? So, but, but it's my truck, and, and I'll get out and drive this truck. And, and when I do drive it, a few days later, a week later, I'll have somebody say, Hey, preacher, I saw you down in Greenwood in your holy smoke truck. Or I saw you in Van Buren in your... Because everybody associates that truck with who? Holy smoke, it's my truck. And there ain't another one like it. What if? What if a thief stole my truck? And, and maybe they, they were the same height and same build I am. And, and what if they stole my truck and they put on a hoodie and a, and a mask and they went in First National Bank branch on, right down here on Brooklyn Hill and Highway 71 and they robbed the bank? And they ran out of the bank and they jumped in the 1960 Holy Smoke truck that says preacher on the front. And they peeled out of the parking lot and hit Highway 71 and got up to 140. It'll do it. <laughs> Who would they be looking for? I would become the prime suspect. Why? Because the thief was seen leaving driving my truck. Church, Jesus said that a lot of people throughout history are going to do evil things and they are going to be driving the vehicle of the Christians. Literally, he said, they are going to wear the cloak or the clothing of Christians. He talked about wolves in sheep's clothing. The apostle Paul said that Satan himself knows how to disguise himself and transform himself and become an angel of light. You need to understand that not everything done in the name of Christianity is done by believers. Okay? However, you also need to understand the Bible says there is one way to know if they are a genuine believer. There is an acid test to see if someone is a real Christian in what they do. Jesus said this, by their love, you will know they are mine. The apostle John put it this way, by their fruits, you shall know them. So when you read about someone claiming to be a churchman, claiming to be a religious leader, claiming to be a Christian, and they drag people down into a deep, dark dungeon and behead them, or burn them, or make them drink Kool-Aid laced with cyanide, it's easy to blame all Christians for that. But it's important to remember that just because they are wearing the cloak of Christianity on the outside does not mean they have the character of Jesus on the inside. In fact, let me tell you, the devil is really good. One of his favorite tricks is to disguise himself in Christian garb so that we will be blamed for his evil deeds. So remember, not everything done in the name of Christianity is Christian. The second answer to the scoffers who claim Christianity has harmed society is this. Just stop and look around. 
And notice all the good that true Christians have done in the world. A few years ago, there was a book written entitled, Why America Needs Religion. It was written by Gunter Louie. Dr. Louie is an agnostic. And he became tired of hearing Christians talk about the moral and spiritual decline of this nation. He got tired of hearing us blame our nation's problems on the fact that Christians have, America has become less and less religious. And so he set out to write a book on the subject. And here's what he was going to entitle his book. Why America Doesn't Need Religion. But then he got to studying it and researching his, for his book. And he was shocked to find the exact opposite of what he expected. He found that religion in general and Christianity in particular has had a profoundly beneficial effect on our society. It has had a philosophical and moral foundation to give us a free and healthy society. Louis concluded to his own surprise that Christianity is essential to a healthy, humane culture. And so he wrote the book, and he entitled the book, Why America Needs Religion. And let me just say to you, America needs us. America needs the church. America needs Christianity. I went back and thought about it and did a little bit of research to, to find that the big things that America has done to make, Christians have done to make America a better place. And, and I came up with a list of, of eight things that were birthed out of Christianity that came from the church that has made us a better nation. For example, hospitals and health care. They came from the church. Number two, orphanages and child care. It was birthed in Christianity. Number three, soup kitchens and rescue missions came from the church. Number four, the education of the masses. You say, oh, but that's, that's the government's response. That's what public education is about. Did you know that public education came out of the Sunday school? Oh, boy. Oh, boy. Number five, the reform of prisons. Number six, the abolition of slavery. Number seven, the rise of democracy. And number eight, the humanitarian assistance in times of famine, disaster, and starvation. Christians have always been at the forefront of these areas. And we still are today. It wasn't that long ago that the International Missions Department within our own Free Will Baptist denomination established a non-governmental humanitarian organization that goes around the world and simply does good for people who are in need. We call it the Hannah Project. And next year, 2021, we're going to be taking a Hannah trip, project, missions trip to Bulgaria to do humanitarian work and to help the, the churches there. Even in our own church, every Monday, we give food to hungry people. I mean, listen to me. Kavanaugh Church is helping Fort Smith and the River Valley be a better place to live. Two times a month, groups for our church go downtown and they feed homeless people. We're always at the forefront. We do good things that make this world a better place to live. 
So it's an interesting exercise to think of what our world would be like if there were no God, if there were no Christ, if there were no Bible, if there were no hope. Oh, didn't I just describe hell? That's what this life would be like if we didn't have God by our side. But the writer of Psalms 24 isn't primarily speaking to historical or sociological terms like I've been doing this morning. He was just speaking personally. The psalmist was saying something like this. What if I didn't have God to help me in my own personal crisis? What if I did not have the Bible to lean on in times of despair and danger and distress? What if God were not by my side? And his conclusion is, I would be a goner. (laughs) I couldn't make it. What do people do without the Lord? You know, there's an old gospel song that says, where could I go but to the Lord? And I don't know about you, but I feel that way almost every day. Where could I go but to the Lord? And, 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 And there it is, Psalms 124. That's what the psalmist is saying. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat. What if the Lord had not been on our side? When people attacked us, they would have swallowed us alive in their burning anger. The waters would have engulfed us. A a torrent would have overwhelmed us. Yes, the raging waters of their fury would have overwhelmed our very lives. Verses 1 through 5, what if? But he doesn't end there because there stands a number 2. Praise be. Praise be. What what does 6 through 8 say? Praise the Lord who did not let their teeth tear us apart. We escape like a bird from a fowler's trap. The trap is broken and we are free. Our help is from the Lord, the one who made both heaven and earth. It's interesting to me that the psalmist uses four pictures or four metaphors from nature to describe the situation he was going through. Follow along here. First of all, in verses 1 through 2, he tells us he is facing a great foe. What if the Lord had not been on our side? Let all Israel repeat. What if the Lord had not been on our side when people attacked us? And later on in the passage, he talked about these people who were attacking him with teeth trying to bite him. They are rising up against him. They are like carnivorous animals wanting to eat him and devour him alive. Let me ask you, have you ever had a human enemy like that? That so hates you that they want to destroy you? They want to eat you alive? Well, I hope not. But oh, hang on. We do. We have an enemy of our soul. The Bible says the devil is like a roaring lion, and he wants to rip us apart. And then in verse 3, the psalmist used another figure. He said that he was facing a, a fire. They would have swallowed us alive in their what? Their burning anger. Talking about a fire there. The older translations use the word kindle. It's, it's talking about flaming up a fire. The the NIV uses the word flared up. It's all talking about the same thing, this this fire that's kindled against them. Have you ever been caught in a fire? 
Have you ever been in a burning house, unable to save yourself? Have you ever found yourself in a firestorm? Thank God I haven't. Oh, yeah, I have. Every day. <laughs> Every day there is a firestorm against us. I, I know what the psalmist is talking about. And then thirdly, he said he felt like he was being overwhelmed and swept away in a flood. Verses 4 and 5. Then the waters would have overwhelmed us. The streams would have gone over our soul. Then the swollen waters would have gone over our soul. He's talking about the tsunami that just overwhelms him. I, I don't know. if, if you've, Have you ever come close to drowning before? It's a horrible feeling. When I was just a little bitty boy, we had a swimming pool in Midland. It was a community pool. And one day uh, we went to that pool, my mom and my aunt, my sister, my cousin, myself. And while my mom and my aunt were up there talking under the pavilion, my sister and cousin tried to drown me. I, I had one of those little tube things around my waist, those little, I don't know what they're called, those little... It was just a little inner tube thing around my waist. And so my sister was holding my head under the water. My cousin Pam was holding my feet under the water. And the only thing that was out of the water was this right here. Everything else was down, down below. And I almost drowned. Thank God my mom and aunt saw in the nick of time and, and pulled me out of that situation. You know what their explanation was? Well, he had a, a life jacket around his waist. We thought he'd be okay. Facing a flood. You know what? Floods can hit us just like that. And your life can change just like that, can it? The psalmist said it's, it's like a wave. A tsunami wave came over me. And then fourth, he said he was not only facing foes and fires and floods, but also a fowler. You got to read this in verse 6 and 7. Blessed be the Lord who has not given us prey to their teeth. Our soul has escaped as a bird from the snare of the fowler. The snare is broken, and we have escaped. It's talking about a bird hunter, a fowler who goes out and sets traps to catch birds. And we know that the devil is a fowler. The devil knows everything about you. The good, the bad, and the ugly. He knows your habits. He knows your hang-ups. He knows what gets to you. And so the devil has gone around every single day of your life setting traps to ensnare you. So in this world, we're going to face all these things. We're going to face a foe. We're going to face fires and floods. We're going to face a fowler. But here's the point. The psalmist tells us in the midst of all of this, God is still on our side. He's never left us. He won't forsake us. And so when you're facing life in its most difficult moment, God's right there with you. You've got to love verse 8. Man, I love this. Read this out loud with me. Ready? One, two, three. Our help is from the Lord who made heaven and earth. Now think about that. The God who made something out of nothing. That's what he did. At the beginning, there was nothing, emptiness. And he spoke a word and something, this world came into existence. The, the theological term for that is ex nihilo. God created ex nihilo, something out of nothing. You can't do that. You can't. But God can. 
the God of heaven and earth, the God who sits on the throne of the universe and knows the very number of hair you have on your head. He knows when a sparrow falls and dies to the ground. The God who knows everything is there to help you. That's what the verse says. He's there to help. I love that, don't you? Because, boy, let me tell you something. I need help. Do any of you need help today? Come on, people, wake up. Who needs help? I tell you what, we all do. We need help from the foe. We need help from the fire, from the flood, and from the fowler. So, let me give you some help verses, six of them. Jot these down on the back of your bulletin. You can go back and research them and read them later in the six help verses. 1 Samuel 7, 12. Then Samuel took a stone and set it up between Mitzvah and Shin. He named it Ebenezer, saying, Thus far has the Lord helped us. Let me just quick time out. Maybe you need to go somewhere on your property and set up a stone. Call it Ebenezer. To remind yourself that when the going gets tough, you know what? God has helped me in the past. He's the helper of my life. He's done it before. He can do it again. Huh? Psalm 46.1. Love Psalms 46. God is our refuge and strength. He is a very present help in times of trouble. We're going to stick with Psalm 121 verse 1. I will lift up mine eyes into the hill from whence cometh my help. My help cometh from the Lord, maker again of where? Heaven and earth. One more in Psalm 41.10 this time. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. Let's go to the New Testament now. Romans 8.26. Likewise, the Holy Spirit Helps us in our weaknesses. And then you got to see this one from Hebrews chapter 4. Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Isn't that amazing? That's the God that we serve. He wants to help you. And oh, he will. Just a couple of Wednesday nights ago, Brother Freddie was leading music for us. Virgil wasn't able to, and so Freddie came up, was lead music. Remember that, Freddie, just a couple of weeks ago? And, and Freddie told us a story. He said, I, I, I teach school at Podo. He teaches music classes in Podo. And he said, the, the great thing about it, you've been doing it for, I don't know, 192 years or something like that. That's what the kids think. Uh, over, thir over 30 years you've been teaching down there. And uh, Freddie, Freddie's a great gospel hymn writer. He, he loves writing gospel music. I, I don't know. I told the church service this morning at 9 o'clock. How many did I say? 900 and something songs you've written. It hadn't been quite that many. But oh, probably over 200 songs Freddie, Freddie has written. I anyway, he told the story that that very day he was teaching his music class in a public school. And he was able to use this as an illustration, a story of Thomas A. Dorsey, who was known as the father of gospel music. Well, Freddie, I was listening to you because I knew a Thomas Dorsey story, and I put it in my brain, and I said, man, I've, I've got to tell my Thomas Dorsey story because Freddie's already mentioned him. Uh, Thomas Dorsey lived in the 1930s. He, he was the father of gospel music. He led singing at Chicago's Pilgrim Baptist Church, and in August of 1932, 
he was asked to come lead worship at this huge revival in St. Louis. And so uh, he and his wife, Nettie, lived on the south side of Chicago, and, and the time came for him to, to pack his bags and get on a train and go to St. Louis. And, and so he kissed Nettie goodbye. And by the way, Nettie was nine months pregnant when he left. He got on that train, went down to St. Louis, and found himself in the midst of this huge revival. He was doing all the music. He was playing. He was singing. And, and one night... Just when he finished playing the piano on the stage, a Western Union employee came running up to the stage and gave Dorsey a telegram. And so Dorsey ripped it open and he found only four words on the telegram. Your wife just died. And I tell you, his life started spinning People around him were, were praising God, they were worshiping, they were clapping, they were singing, but he had just met a foe, a fire, a flood, and a fowler. He rushed home to find that Nettie had died giving birth to their son. And as the son was born, Nettie died, and soon after that, that same night, the baby died. And so Dorsey buried both of them in the same coffin. Let me tell you, he was depressed. He was embittered. He was angry. In fact, he kind of held it against God just for a short time. But then one day he, he couldn't keep it in any longer. And, and he just went to the piano and he sat down. And all of a sudden, his hands started playing. And then all of a sudden, these words came out. What if the Lord had not been on my side? Praise God, He is. And He'll take your hand and He'll lead you. So this morning, would you give Him your hand? Would you give Him your heart? Would you give Him your life? Because when you do that, He will give you His hand, His heart his life what do people do without the Lord I don't know and I don't want to find out so precious Lord take my hand today would you stand heavenly father